Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify approved course, 1000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, and I do say this every week, so apologies, um, my name's Nick and I host the podcast. I've been hosting it since about June, and then Caroline was running it before me. We're at about 130, 140 episodes at the moment, so there's so much golden content. So if you want to scroll back and find stuff, a lot of it is timeless. Some of it does change, of course, as technology changes, etc. But feel free to roll back and check out any previous episodes, and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't ever miss an episode. We post every Friday at the moment, so there'll be a new episode every Friday, hitting your inbox on iTunes, Spotify, etc., wherever you get your podcasts from. Today, we're kicking off a new series, and it's only going to be a two-parter, so it's only going to be this week and next week, but we're kicking off a new series all about how to build trust, most specifically, how to build trust with your customers. And we're doing this again with one of our favorite partners, Brightpearl. So you may remember last summer, we were talking about what's changed since COVID and lockdown, and Brightpearl had this amazing report, one for the UK, one for the US. Um, That report is still available if you want to go and get it, so it's on brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers. So you can download your copy there to see what's changed. Obviously, a lot of it is out of date now because a lot has changed since that report last summer. But they've also released a new guide, hence this week and next week's episodes to talk about that guide, most notably because yours truly has been quoted on that guide, sharing some of my insights about marketing and how do we build trust when people arrive on a web page from a marketing campaign. So if you want to check out that report, just head over to brightpearl.com and that you should see the trust report nice and big at the top of the homepage in a nice big banner. If not, have a quick click around, you'll be able to find the guide. But kicking off this little mini-series, I'm delighted to introduce my guest. His name's Marcus, and he's one of the original co-founders of Fairfax and Favour. And one of the main things Marcus just told me he deals with, which is brilliant, is marketing. So Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. It's a real pleasure to be on here. Great stuff. Well, we're going to dig into some interesting insights about Fairfax and Favour and how it all got started and that sort of thing. But just before that, do you want to just give us a quick background to you and, and, and also what the business does? Yeah, sure. So... In essence, we are a specialist footwear, accessory and clothing brand for the country lifestyle and rural Vogue market. You're probably wondering what that means, but effectively we define that as anyone <laughs> who has any sort of lifestyle connection to the countryside. And the best way of defining our customers is people who like to think that just because you're in the countryside doesn't mean that you should have to wear badly fitting clothes or unflattering footwear. And... We, we came up with the concept of saying, you know, there's no reason why you can't, you have to choose between wearing wellies or wearing something that's very flimsy from the high street. That There should be something that is durable, but also flattering and can be worn outdoors. And that's the basis of what we offer and the problem we're trying to solve. Nice. And as somebody who lives in Surrey in the UK, I'm very, very acclimatized to that sort of product, I have to say, especially with the amount of Range Rovers and Land Rovers we have in the area, given that 
we have absolutely perfect roads here as well, which, uh, yeah, always slightly ironic. But I think certainly the clothing, and as you say, the fashion element of something durable is something that I think everybody can relate to. As you say, you, you only need to go on one walk in some old trainers to know that actually you need something a bit more heavy duty, but you also still want to look the part as opposed to just purely running around in a, in a pair of cheap wellies from a local supermarket or something. So that's a background to the business. Do you want to tell us how it got started then in terms of a web store? So what, did you go straight from idea stage to launching your shop or how did it all come around? Yeah, so don't want to go too far back because it's quite a long story. And there is, a, there is an about us on our website, which is quite a funny read. Um, which Felix and I just sat down with a friend, a friend of ours um, who's a very good writer in a pub and we kind of just put the story up, but I won't, <laughs> won't bore you with that here. But effectively, we started online because we needed to, because we started selling originally at the shows and events, country shows mainly, big ones like Burley Horse Trials or Babington Horse Trials, the Game Fair. If you're from London, you might know there's Olympia Horse Show. That, that was also one we used to do, Spirit of Christmas. Cheltenham Festival is a very big one too. Chelsea Flower Show. So these sort of outdoor events, they're fantastic for connecting with a customer and at the early stages of really getting the product right. The only problem was, is that because we just started out, they don't give you the best spots on the show. So you're normally, if you do get in the show, you're in the corner. So you don't really make a lot of sales. So that's quite difficult. And most of the time, though, they just don't let you in because there's not enough spaces, especially the really good shows. So when we had this business, we realized that 90% of our time, we were actually not doing anything and bar just trying to um, sell to your friends and family when you first start. So we realized an online store was going to be pretty necessary unless we were suddenly miraculously going to get into these shows, which was, ha- was happening, but at quite a slow sort of, you have to earn your right to get a good spot type sort of snail pace speed. So we started on my business with Shopify and that's been one of the only platforms we've managed to stay with the entire way for our business. And I even had an email today off our finance director saying, what would it take to move off Shopify? And I, I, I think I replied to him saying, that's blasphemy. <laughs> Love it. Because not right, well, it was because there's an integration with them and globally that can't happen at the moment. And I said, there's no way we're sacrificing that for, for Shopify. So your question is, how did the business start online? That's how it kind of started out. Just had a Shopify store. I think we paid maybe a couple of thousand pounds to get it going and had took some imagery, me and Felix, my business partner, took some imagery using our girlfriends, I think, and at the time. And we sort of started doing some not very good imagery and, and started put started like that, basically. And it's kind of about seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, I love the kind of social element to this as well, that it's like, obviously you have a passion for this kind of thing as opposed to just, just a, you know, it's not just a, ca- a transaction to you. Starting with the horse riding shows and then also, as you say, involving, obviously at the time, but girl- girlfriends in the uh, in the equation as well is, I mean, I started my own Shopify store a while ago. Um, we closed down recently, but even with that, all the photography on there was done by my girlfriend. I'm delighted to say it's now my fiance. So I've done something right there. But uh, oh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. It's interesting, like when you're starting a business, you do kind of grab onto every resource you can, don't you? I imagine Shopify probably looked at, you know, probably looked at the cost and just went, well, that's an obvious solution. And then since then, as you said to your finance director, it's an obvious place to stay. It's, it's still working for us. And there's a huge amount we still haven't got out of it. Yeah, I mean, I say... To back, I mean, I have an incentive. I'm the marketing side. I want the best platform. And obviously, there's always going to be things that aren't perfect for, for every platform. But I can guarantee that, you know, you always think that the, the, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But I always say if it's good enough for Gymshark, it's definitely good enough for us. And there's a lot of things that I know that 
fine. There's a couple, I think there might be a pain point and this globally is a good example. I think there's a pain point around being able to visually see the Shopify payments. There's not much visual around that. And we can't, sometimes we can't quite work out the reconciliation, but these are quite minor problems when you compare it to the competitors. And I've looked at them. You know, I don't think any of the platforms really are, are close to what Shopify does and just, and, and this scalability, you know, we started off, I think on the 29 pounds a month version that you start off with now we're on plus and it's able to scale all the way through shopify is a lot better than it was when we started and is you know i think they seem to be investing a lot of money in, in making it a lot better so i feel like it's, it's, a, it's a horse you can kind of back for the future i mean shopify is getting a lot of plugging here <laughs> i hope they yeah i hope they work out some because but they do deserve it it's a very good platform yeah definitely we just just for anybody else's benefit marcus and i were talking before we hit the record button about the fact that obviously we're not shopify themselves and we're trying to engage with them more so we are working on that we've had them on the show a couple of times recently and we're current we are t- currently talking about doing an event with the plus team so um so- something may change soon and certainly marcus i'll, uh, I'll drop you a note if, if it does because yeah we're looking to see something a bit more public but our, our ethos here is always adding value so we don't run this podcast talk about ourselves we run it to add value and then if people want to chat they can come chat so yeah i i agree i think it's a fantastic platform obviously running this podcast and running parker and and spec we use shopify a huge amount and very very much reliant on it as well one of the interesting stats that for anyone who didn't listen to our episode just before christmas with tim sumner from shopify themselves tim's part of the plus team and he was telling us that shopify did more revenue over the black friday and cyber weekends than amazon in the UK. So if you want to see where, as you say about hedging your bets and, you know, which horse the back, Shopify right now has got every single hallmark of a business that's going to continue to grow and continue to do well. And at the time of recording, we've just heard as well that Jeff Bezos has just stepped down from Amazon. So things might be about to change there quite dramatically. If you look at what happened at Apple with jobs leaving, some things improved dramatically, but a lot of things went south. So it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens between the two. And Obviously, it's not a direct comparison and lots of businesses, and I'm sure you guys have probably looked at or already do sell on Amazon, but certainly it's an interesting uh, interesting comparison. And I was asking Tim just for Christmas as well, if Shopify are going to launch their own Amazon-style marketplace. So uh, no spoilers. If you go back and listen to the episode, you can hear what he said. But he, uh, he wouldn't give away too much is, uh, is all I would say. But, but then talking, okay, Marcus, about what, exactly what we're talking about today, which is trust. Talk to us about, first of all, who is your customer? Do you want to outline some who are they? And then what are some of the things you therefore have to do or like to do or have found have been effective at building their trust as a customer of yours? Sure. One thing I definitely got to comment on, which I thought was quite funny, is I heard someone say that if you watch Star Wars, Amazon is like the evil empire and Shopify is arming the rebels. I thought that was quite a funny <laughs> I do like that. analogy. So Amazon's obviously big monopoly, big monopoly, very successful one. And you've got Shopify trying to arm all the little all the little niches that are obviously competing with it. I thought that was quite a funny analogy. I'm not sure Jeff Bezos thinks of that analogy, but... I love it. I'm going to use that from here on. So thank you. That's uh, I think it describes it very, very well. I think I definitely feel like we're on the Rebel Alliance side of this. Yes, exactly. Uh, so who is our customer? So I would say that my customer is primarily would be my sister and my mum. If I was to put it, or you know, your sister and your mum, if you were to put it in something that you can connect with. And definitely the girls are the centre of our brand and the buying decision. I imagine, you know, and we do have a boy's side as well, but I have very strong belief that the girls are driving pretty much the whole thing in the sense that they're buying, you might get a belt for Christmas or you might get a pair of shoes. Uh, if they think your current ones are looking a bit tatty and there will be a little bit of self-serving in that because when it comes around to Christmas, they're going to expect you to buy them like a handbag. So there's 
And so but the girls are very much driving it. Either they're telling the bloke to buy something for himself, buying something for him, buying something for themselves, or asking the, the, the boy to buy him, buy her a handbag Christmas. So definitely the girls centre of our brand, even though there is a male part of our market as well. Cool. And so how do you build trust with those guys then? What are some of the things that you need to do when they land on a web page, they see you at a trade show? What does that sort of uh, journey of building trust look like? Yeah, so I suppose that's no golden bullet with that. And it's just lots of things you do that all have an incremental impact. From a trade standpoint of view, there's a lot that goes with reputation. People seeing you at multiple events means that they know you're not just a one hit, you know, smash and grab business or cowboy business, I suppose. Continuity works with that because you end up doing these shows, you end up having the riders in the boots and they, they do the trot arts, which is this thing that's quite public. Uh, it's kind of like a catwalk for, for horses. And that builds a lot of trust. And I think on the website, probably from, and I suppose from reviews, we use Yotpo and people can see all the, you know, warts and all, all the reviews for the product. We, we use the customers to do a lot of the talking for us. So, you know, we just, we put customer imagery on the websites, on the product pages, so people can see how it looks. We, you know, we do do our own photos. We do do a lot of our own photo shoots, but we also use a lot of user-generated content as well. People definitely buy into that. I mean, I suppose trust has come from delivering on your promises consistently, and nothing really beats just trying to make sure that the end consumer is always happy. One thing we do try and do is we always sort of we call it take the risk with the with the customer. I think. The stuff we do is it's it's expensive, but we've always said we we take the risk. So it doesn't matter where you're from in the US, the UK, if you order something, it'll come for free. We'll pay all the duty. If you don't like it, you can return it for up to 120 days for free, as in we'll pay for it to come back. That's in the UK, the US is actually do that anywhere in the world. We take the risk. And if something, you know, if something doesn't work, if something breaks, we have just a straight up, we won't make you wait for six months while we fix it we just replace it and then we just deal with the problem so we've always said i think that's the you know that's the luxury element for us is we are we deal with all the problems and on a social media world we're in now where there's facebook groups there's hundreds of thousand people following us on instagram and facebook you know people who have who complain do have a big voice and i don't necessarily think i think the, you know i think that's been a really good thing for the long term because we have such a customer-centric returns policy now we have customer focus meetings twice a month where we just go through what we basically give our customer service manager a magic wand and say what can we change to make them happier and actually them having that voice has actually made our business better i think we still could do a lot more and we're always looking at pushing sort of boundaries on on what we think we can do but that's what we try to do anyway so that's our strategy i would say yeah thanks so much for that there's so much in there good stuff let's Let's unpack a couple of bits. So I think one thing would be identifying the customer is really difficult. And I, I pose that question deliberately because I know it's not an easy thing to, <laughs> to be able to just say, oh, that's our customer over there because half of the analytics you read is not correct and, and that sort of thing. But it sounds like the fact that you guys are engaging with customers so much through social, that must give you a pretty good understanding, doesn't it? Of you can actually see them on Instagram. So you go, well, there is a customer. They're wearing our stuff. They're a customer. And we can see their face, see what's going on on Instagram. How much has that then helped with content? Because I, I had a look at the sign. You mentioned you put customer content on there. And that's the Instagram sort of plugin, isn't it? So you can see what it looks like on our customers type thing. Yeah, that's it. We, you do, we do a lot of that. And I think just the way that social media works as well, user-generated content works really well on social media. 
And if you use campaign imagery, won't tend to get the same engagement levels. So I'd say that we've used customer customer content, you know, for the for reviews, which are historically really for a luxury brand, a lot of companies kind of like turn their nose up and putting reviews on their on their website. But I really think that it's important because we get such feedback from our customers about what to change. And for any, you know, for every one star review we've got for something that hasn't fitted or whatever, I've been so much uh, you know, happier to see to be able to change that fit, and even though you might, you know, it might appear on your website, then you've then got the ability to change it. And I think that feedback is so so important. I, I would say that we're one of our strongest points with uh, how how well connected we are with our customers. We've got a Facebook page with I think forty thousand people on it. It really gives you a great. It's a focus group, really, and it, it gives you a great interaction with our customers. And we we actually ask them what we what products they want us to bring out next year a lot. So we normally do that every April. We normally do a, we actually do a design competition as well. So, you know, if you listen to your customers, a half the battle I think in business is just understanding your customers and listening to them and actually following through with it. I think it's quite easy to try and dictate about what you think your customers want. But in this day and age, you can get a feedback loop going with social media, with reviews, and you can actually you can let your customers help shape your brand. And I think to a certain degree, they do have a lot of input in what we, in what we do, what we bring out and, and how we do things. So what I love about that is not only obviously does it work, given that you're still here seven years later, the business is growing, you're on, even just being on Shopify Plus is a, an obvious symbol that things are going quite well in many, many different ways. But what I love about it is that we've had so many guests on this show over the last, since I've been presenting it since June, We've had so many different guests on here saying the same sort of thing about, um, I remember five years ago, the, the buzzword of, or the buzz phrase of the day was customer first. But you guys really are. And, and a lot of the other guests we've had have been in a very similar wavelength in a very good way. It's sort of, do you know what? When we first started, we put out stuff that we liked. But then actually, well, as soon as we got some feedback, it was clear what was wrong. and We made some changes and instantly it was more popular. And you talk about the customers doing the hard work for you in, in some senses with marketing. It's not quite as crass as just putting it on the website. As I mentioned, I think even them sharing stuff and tagging you on Instagram because they just love it. It's, I mean, that, that is very much how Gymshark, who you mentioned earlier, that's how they grew was through ambassadors, influencers, and then just the general public then sharing going, I too look like the guy on the picture, you know, from the, from the website or the influencer I saw this, I saw wearing this saying it was their new collection. And here I am now purchase it and I've got the product. So I think being customer first in 2021, I, I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, I don't see any alternative now. You know, I think that actually the place for the kind of Amazon dropshippers and stuff, that age is dying. Customers want to be engaging. They want to see that this is a product people like, that people buy. And the internet, especially last year, through COVID, through 2020, the internet's just expanded like wildfire, not just Shopify, but all platforms have been expanding and more stores have been launching. There's more competition. So it's never been harder, probably, you know, it's certainly online. It's never been harder actually to get, get a message out to people but I think a lot of businesses are still not doing those basic things, which is, it sounds like where you guys are, you know, managing to cut through the noise quite a lot with, you know, not the cheapest product, not the most expensive, but it's not the cheapest, getting that product across and leveraging customers to do so. Do you, would you say it's fair as an assessment? Yeah, definitely. It's funny how things change over, uh, you know, we're looking at where luxury brands made themselves 30 years ago. is actually not that necessarily that relevant for where the business is now. I think one of the, one of the mistakes that, I've fallen in the past is kind of trying to fight a war that was, you know, for you, you, you got to, you can't, there's no point in looking at how brands were made 
30 years ago. It's a very different ball game now. And I imagine I'll probably say the same thing in 30 years time now, but a lot has changed. And, you know, for example, there's, you know, how much you spend on print advertising, for example, just, you know, how you, where, where attention is, where eyeballs are, has just massively changed. And just because a big brand that you admire, you, you know, uses that a lot, doesn't mean that you should, or doesn't mean that's going to be the best return on investment for what you're doing or the best way to connect with your customers. I, I think, especially with niche brands, and, and when you're small, you're by definition niche, really. How you start is you have to deeply connect with a small group of people, and you can out-connect brands, bigger brands, and that's really the way in to start with is out-connecting the bigger brands. And you know, even, and that really applies to everything to a certain degree. Like we go to the shows, for example, we started out, our stand looked pretty rubbish. I used to use my my school trunk used to be part of the stand. We literally gutted parts of our house to use the stand. And there's no way I was more polished than our competitors, but we could have a, you know, we could, and we couldn't certainly, you know, we won't have 10 people queuing up to buy boots. But to begin with, we could give a one-on-one personal experience to someone, get them in the boots. You know, they would connect with that. We get them what they wanted, do a really good service. They would then tell their friends and we could build it up like that. But so the same sort of online as well. You can, I, th- I think, the, the the trick to begin with is, is to try and get a deep connection with your cust- with with your customers, and you can, you know, you look at every business. There's always going to be a brand that's more established and bigger than you, but chances are they're not that connected. So if you can really understand the customer better than them, you can really outmaneuver them. So I'd say that's probably the best tip from that one. That sounds good. I wish someone told me that earlier. <laughs> I think I think it makes a lot of sense. And then, so, so that's how you sort of start to build the trust. What does that do then? This is very much a loaded question, but what does that do to lifetime value? You know, once once customers have made that first purchase, etc. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I, I think that the post-purchase bit is probably the most underinvested part. In like, I, I think it doesn't get enough airtime, and because you know, someone's just parted with their cash and they put it in the, you know, the part of their cash. And now you have to deliver. That has just got to be, and I, I, I don't think we're good enough at it yet. And communication obviously is fundamental. Now you've got to give them up to date what, where the parcel is, if it is delayed, what, how long is it going to be delayed for? Even just telling people that it's being packed, you know, telling them they've got the order, you've got text, email, push notifications. You then got making sure the delivery is good. So using a decent delivery provider, and then I think one thing that's really overlooked is actually teaching the customers how to use the product and get the most out of it. A lot of times, and I think we've been guilty of this before as well, you know, just going straight in and trying to sell them something else. You've actually really, isn't it so nice when a company sells you something and then spends the next portion of your relationship trying to teach you how to do it better? And obviously, fundamentally, the delivery bit's got to be really good. I mean, we've been very lucky over this pandemic we've managed to deliver 99% of our orders next day delivery. There's been a huge amount of effort from Rob and the ops team. And to be fair, Brightpile have been fantastic in working with us and making sure we iron out any issues. And we even actually delivered up to the 23rd, I think guaranteed delivery up to the 23rd of December, which I was a little bit concerned about when I first posed it. And I was a bit of a gamble, but I think we delivered 99.9% of the parcels I think one of them got one of them of those like of of, the, of how many we sent out on the twenty third didn't arrive on the twenty fourth and 
had to arrive on the Sunday after or, or two days afterwards. And we managed to let that customer know. And, you know, I think gave them some gift card or some of like that. So they were feeling better about it and actually probably happy that it happened. So, yeah, I mean, the bit afterwards, building the trust is obviously what makes the, the lifetime value. And I suppose lifetime value, though, comes from, it's not, it's again, it's not a golden bullet. It's really just, you have to do everything. I suppose, you know, it's overall everything, isn't it? I mean, you you have to have products that people then want to buy you know, afterwards. So you have to bring out new products that are good. Um, you have to have a fantastic post-purchase experience. You have to have a great returns policy. Your customer service has to be fantastic, has to be very customer-centric. You are good lifetime value. You've got a great business. And because, you know, fundamentally, existing customers, you want those are the ones you really need to look after. So yeah, we were still working on it. And I think there's still a lot more we can do. But that's the kind of strategy we have for maximizing it. Nice. And I'll be honest with you, something I've learned since I got more into the Shopify world about three years ago, and even more so since June, again, conducting lots of these interviews, and you've just hit the nail on the head again, which is just another reassurance that everybody's speaking, speaking sense here. And I think certainly the smaller stores need to listen. Is that when I ask about lifetime value, two or three years ago, the, the general answer would have been a, oh, you need to get into email, affiliate, you need to make sure you do brand search on PPC. And, and actually talking about all the, ta- all, all the kind of actual implementation, you know, the kind of the tactical marketing side of it. Because what you've just described, which is what lots and lots of our guests have described, and certainly the ones that are like you guys doing better, your business is growing, you're on plus now, it's going, it's all going where it should. And it's interesting that you, your answer was none of the above. Mm. What your answer was, which is, I, I'm now coming to believe is, uh, is absolutely the right way to do it, is it's about customer service. It's about quality of product. It's about can we change their life? Because if we can with this product and just give them a great experience, which, you know, as you said, it's, it, it's, not, it's not something you can do overnight, but it's not difficult. Just by doing that, then actually you don't need all the email and the rest of it. Or when you do do those things, they're super effective because the brand is there, the experience is there, the customer service is there, the delivery is on time. And if it's not, it's all communicated, as you say. And it's, you know, as I say, it's just been a, just sort of reflecting back for a second when you were talking, it's been a real learning curve, I think, for a lot of businesses that that is where online e-commerce is at now. It's not in a place where it used to be of like, you know, like where I, I would say Wayfair, the furniture company, they, they are renowned for you order a product, you get daily emails with that same product and all of the other products like that you could have bought and tons of other products. And it's like, I just wanted a bedside cabinet or I just wanted a new desk for my for my house or a wardrobe. I didn't want all of this. And they just go overkill on the emails. And you know, I, I've named and shamed Wayfair quite a lot over the last year. I don't know if they're still doing it, but certainly six months ago when I ordered something very, very small from them on a good deal, you know, on my laptop one night, I, I got absolutely hammered by it. And I think, as you say, it's... It's just about the experience. So, so the next question really is, do you do email? Obviously, you've got social media, but do you do email? And do you hook people back in via those kind of those techniques? Or, or are you just purely relying on the fact that they love it so they come back? Is that, is that more effective for your, for your customers? Um, it's a good question. I actually think we may have tried it. We don't actually do like a win back series on anything, any platform. We do do email, by the way. Uh, we use Clavio, which I massively rate. It's fantastic. Nice. And we don't do any win back thing. We've always just focused really on, I mean, first of all, I don't really, I, I just think if you do a really good job and you actually think about what, why the customer's buying your product and it's, it's actually not really that complicated. You just think about what people, why people buy your product and you actually think about what they really want straight after a purchase. And your real job is to make sure that that is, that process is a massive success and that there's all the support and help. You don't have to 
create all these clever systems. And it's also quite complicated where, you know, if someone hasn't bought for an X amount of time, you then send them a text and then you send them an email. It's like, we've had, you know, we, we find it very difficult to, you know, and because obviously it's going to work if you send out discount codes and that sort of stuff. And we, we actually don't do that. Uh, we've always kind of said, we're going to try and be relevant. We're going to try and give a really good service. We're going to try and be, you know, we're going to use the marketing channels that people are actually on. So social media, email is another one. And we're just going to try and make, you know, say content is king, but relevancy is, they say content's king, but relevancy is like, is like emperor or something like that. But I think that's true. You, you know, you've got to have, you've got to be relevant. And I think, you know, it's not about sending people hundreds of emails where they, they just look, they're getting loads of product. You know, they probably want to know about how to use their product better or how to care for it or how actually to fit it, which is something actually we're going to be working on for this year. Nice. You know, they, that's what they really want to hear from you. And actually, you know, it, it's, you just think about you being in that position and you should be your own customer. I think a lot, I, I order from our own website a lot, which, um, which always gets a question. You always get some funny looks in the warehouse. They're like, does Marcus really want this sent to his house? And I go, yeah, yeah, I do. I generally want it. Well, I've never done it once and not gone, right. We need to change this or change that. And yeah, it's always, I think that's probably one of the best things that I probably should do it even more often than I do it. But I'd say, yeah, we don't do any clever tricks for lifetime value. Like, win back or anything like that I'm not saying we won't do it ever but to a certain degree i think if you can keep the connection with the customer that's better than than that and i think we've always tried to focus on kind of doing that connection and i think as long as you've got that people will buy when they need a pair their next pair of shoes or the next handbag but just arbitrarily deciding that at six months they're officially lapsed is not particularly helpful in my opinion so yeah, that's that's how I look at it anyway. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's really good. And actually, the um, you've reminded me, and I think I've mentioned this in the podcast a couple of times, but you reminded me of a really interesting scenario that a friend of mine who lives nearby was, he was initially the e-com director at Debenhams, obviously quite a big, well-known high street retailer. They're, they're the, one of those retailers that are constantly in the news because they're about to go bankrupt, but they still seem to be there somehow. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. But he was e-commerce director there, and then he requested that his job title was changed to, I think it was customer experience officer. And eventually got the request approved and they said, right, on your first day of your new role, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going on a road trip. And what he did is he went to the warehouse, the closest warehouse to his office. And he basically just said, next package, I'm going to go with it. And he ended up going up to Scotland that night on an overnight train, sleeping on the train, just in a very normal chair, which uh, he said wasn't very pleasant. Got there at the other end, went to the distribution center and waved his card saying, I'm from Debenhams, I'm following this parcel. And then he, he did that sort of five or 10 times and realized actually that a lot of the parcels were like smelling of smoke or they were turning up wet or dirty. And he'd gone with the literally right the way to the front door and then asked some questions to this customer. A lot of the customers were saying, oh yeah, I always buy from Debenhams. I've been a loyal customer. Delivery's a bit rubbish. Like, you know, the product's always fine, but the packaging's a bit awful. And he was like, well, that's a quick win. So he found a cheaper package packaging provider and a new delivery company and put that, made, made sure they signed up in blood in the contract to sort that out, that the delivery drivers would not smoke in the vans and that the, actually the packaging they were using was that little bit more robust. It didn't actually cost any more. It, it was just a case of like you ordering on your own website, finding out what's actually going on here. Because as soon as you go through the process yourself, you quickly go, well, that could be improved, that could be improved. And a lot of it is not, I think a lot of e-commerce businesses, they look at it and think, it's going to be expensive getting better packaging and stuff when in one sense, it's not necessarily. And in another sense, but if you improved that, but got another order, that's a cheaper exercise than trying to do PPC or SEO or whatever your, your channels are to try and hook in the next new customer or going to a trade show, that sort of thing. So then if you're doing both, 
keeping customers longer, increasing lifetime value through, as you say, through the, the service. And um, I just think it's such a win-win scenario, isn't it? And it doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs to be the right decisions, the right things. So whatever data gets you that to that point, you know, I'm massively all for. Yeah, definitely. I, and it's, a lot of it is just detail as well. You've got to just really immerse yourself in that customer experience and really see what they go through and be quite picky about things. And I think you're not going to suddenly have a world-class customer service experience in a, you know, you're not going to go right this month, we're going to improve the customer service experience. It probably never finishes. And we have meetings, I have a meeting every two weeks, I would say is possibly the most important meeting. And we call it a customer focus meeting. And it's probably the most important meeting I have. And I have obviously 26 in the year. And we just sit down with our customer service manager and he just goes, we go, right, tell us something. And we're pulling the information out of him. We go, tell us something that is a pain point for our customers that we can change. And whether it's operational website, you know, from a customer service point of view, returns point of view, but it's like, find, you know, find us a negative review and let's try and see how, what we could have done to change it. And it started off with, when we started doing it, started off with a long list. And then now we're kind of scratching around, but you know, I always come out for that meeting with sort of 10 action points and what we could do better. So it is definitely one of the most important parts of the business, I'd say. I might be quoting you on that over the next few months on this podcast, because I absolutely love it. I think actually just sitting down and we, we do it sometimes from an SEO perspective when we're looking at content and we go through the reviews looking for good and bad. So some of the good ones, we might say, look, this company's selling sofas on their website. It's a big bulky item to buy a new couch, it needs to be delivered by two people, you know, it's not simple. Let's look at the reviews. And if there are any good ones, so depending on the review platform, some of them actually let you cherry pick that review and chuck it in the cart. Or when, when it gets to the page where they choose their delivery option and the cheapest one's £25 to deliver this sofa, because, you know, let's face it, it's going to cost the company money to get it to you. When you get to that point, having a review saying, I was reluctant to pay the £25, but actually it was the best £25 I ever spent, sat and had a cup of tea with the two guys afterwards. I think going through the reviews and actually digging out, you know, what is good and what is bad, I think is, is so important. And as you mentioned earlier, we're in this day and age now where you can do exactly that. So ne next question from, then, from me then, what's a big focus for you guys going forward, both in just, you know, what's the direction of the business in terms of growth and, and also specifically around customer trust? Is it to keep just doing those sessions or are there any specific things you're trying to achieve or do you have a goal of when customer service will be above par or you know what does that actually look like in the long run we've had a lot of success recently with we've had we've had a lot of success recently with our customer service we've got very good kpis for them and that sort of thing and they absolutely they are absolutely smashing it now and i think that is just a combination of a lot of things coming together and always going to look at doing better and continue having these meetings and I mean, a big challenge for us has always kind of been has always been stock. We've got quite a lot of the time we're out. We've sold out quite a lot, so that a big big focus for us is going to be supply chain, investing in stock. We're actually moving into a new warehouse first of March, so that we can hold more stock. That we're not going to be out of stock so much, and that's a big focus point for us. Uh, just from a just kind of like tactical point of view, that will make a, that will you know keep a lot of people happy because we do get quite angry customers who have to wait when stuff is out of stock for such a long time. So that would help. And, and I think the majority of our technical support is when will this be back in stock? So, you know, we probably solve a lot of problems just by solving that issue. But generally, they are doing a, a fantastic job now. And I think we get, I think some, they've got yacht per reviews. I think it's the average last month was four, nine, five or something like that out of, out of five. And that's like 
something like a thousand reviews a month or whatever it is. So they're doing a really, really good job. But yeah, there's always more we can do. I mean, this Brexit thing has obviously created some challenges. I think we've had parcels sent to the border that have just been sent back for whatever reason. I think the delivery companies are just having to cope with it. What we've just said is for the first six weeks or it's been two months now, we've just said, right, we're just going to pay all the duty charges. So yeah. there's no one on our Facebook page or Facebook group saying, I've ordered a boot, pair of boots from Germany and I've been charged 80 quid. So we've just swallowed all the duty charges. It seems to be no rhyme or reason about what things are, ch- what duties charged on what, but we're trying to work it out. And when we do work it out, you know, we'll look at how we can make it sustainable. But at the moment, we're just swallowing the duty charge. That has been a bit of a pain point, but I, I know there's, Lot, we're we're not in a bad position because I've seen a lot of lot of I know a lot of people have a lot worse situations than us and because most of our customers are in the UK it's fine and we've kind of just taken it on the head but it wasn't there was two weeks where we couldn't send anything to Europe which was crazy so that wasn't ideal. Yeah, Brexit's been a bit funny over here. We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast with a chap who's based out in America called Trevor from Buddy Brands. And he was sort of, I sort of asked him very briefly on the podcast, what do you know about Brexit? And he was like, I think we know pretty much everything. Like it's been a global thing because it does have then a knock-on effect on other countries because it's going to change the way we trade with other countries. But yeah, we, we've had similar challenges actually around how we charge VAT for digital services around around the EU. So some of our clients at Parker are EU individuals who have a Shopify store on the side at the moment, similar to where you sort of started. And those guys are individuals. So whether we charge VAT or not is a question that we're still trying to answer. And, you know, at the time of recording, we're in February. So it's just, yeah, it's, it is a pain, but one that, as you say, we should get a bit more clarity soon. I think one of the biggest issues is that the EU and the UK government have been so slow to actually tell us any information about it or what we should be doing about it. So hopefully it is going to improve. But I think one of the things I was trying to uh, try to look at stuff with is um, not rose tinted glasses, but technical glasses. So actually looking at it and going, OK, where is where's where's a USP in this or somewhere where we could find a strength, if that makes sense. Obviously, you guys are, you know, you're trying to avoid bad reviews there. Is that is that the only outcome then of the whole kind of Brexit issue? Or have you guys actually found any sort of strength points in there? Like, could you go to market and say, well, we're, you know, or, we're based in the UK, order in the EU and we'll cover the duty costs? Or is that just something that you think is a bit far-fetched for your customers? You know, has it changed any actual processes so far for the for the good as opposed to just the, just the technical problems? I don't know if it's changed. I mean, it kind of feels like it's a bit early to say because we're still trying to find out. I wouldn't say that it's probably, I mean, it's definitely put up, barriers in the sense that we've had to fill in forms a lot now which is kind of irritating but so in that sense i mean i don't think it's helped but you know we've always done ddp which is delivered duty paid so it kind of just means that we're getting charged a lot more now for something we sent to europe and we you know to just work out how that's going to be sustainable but i get the feeling as well that dhl and dpd don't really know what they're doing either because they had a period where they couldn't they just couldn't deliver to europe so i get the impression that to be honest with you this will work itself out and it's not like people won't be ordering stuff internationally anymore. It's, it's just not going to work like that. But I think there's a, there's a, we're in a period now where government don't really know what to do, DHL working it out, and it's all very interconnected. It's all kind of like, yeah, it's all interconnected and interdependent, and we'll work it out eventually. But we're just, sadly, we're all the guinea pigs, and we'll, in six months' time, I think we'd have had this all pretty nailed. But, you know, for the next, for the next couple of months, this might be a bit rocky, but... It's not going to be fatal for, for us in that respect. That's good to hear. I think, as you say, it's caused so many issues for so many companies. I think my biggest frustration was that the date they announced the actual deal and all the paperwork was released was only a handful of days or something before the actual implementation. And given that we've just had COVID, we know exactly what 
all governments are going to be doing with every pound that's due in tax uh, in, in the coming months. So, uh, so we'll see. But I mean, look, for, for, from my side, Marcus, it's been great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. The last question from me is, how can people get in touch? What's the best way to connect with you, either on social, your website, etc.? From Fairfax Favors' point of view, you can get in touch with us just on our website. There's loads of links you can e- email us at. Social media is a very good way of getting in touch. Uh, we respond very quickly on Messenger on Instagram as well. I would say phones, but I believe because of COVID, they're currently not on at the moment. But in normal times, they would be. If people have any questions i mean i linkedin is quite a good place to get in touch with me or also you just email in customer service that can work too so i say linkedin is probably the best place to get in touch with me so it's just marcus fairfax phantom great stuff thanks so much marcus really really appreciate your time today and um, wish you all the best with the business oh thank you very much nick it's been fantastic speaking to you and wish you the best with the rest of your podcasting thanks a lot and for anybody else listening today as i mentioned right at the start we're back again next week posting every friday so make sure you hit the subscribe button and if you want to support the show as well and ask any shopify related questions and speak to the rest of our listeners um, we also have a Facebook group, which is just called Winning with Shopify. So feel free to go and check that out. Um, next week, I'm delighted to announce that we've got Trustpilot themselves. So obviously, we've been talking a little bit about Yotpo today. Trustpilot are one of the other platforms out there for collecting customer reviews. Um, we're going to have one of their team on next week talking about how you can build trust on your website. So from me, thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.